Folks, as Mike uh, mentioned there, um, Brother Rick Whittle was just a, an amazing man. Uh, no telling how many times he's spoken here at Creekwood and at different places uh, in the area. Um, if you didn't know, he was the preacher at the Spanish Fort Church of Christ. Now, I don't know how many years, but he's been there for a very long time. And just a fantastic family, and we're really going to miss Brother Rick. So let's keep praying for the Whittle family at this time. You know, there's a very uh, unfortunate view of the Bible that I've heard every so often in my time uh, in the church. Uh, and and the, the, this unfortunate view of the Bible goes a little bit something like this, that the Bible is nothing but a list of do's and don'ts for Christians. In other words, some people have dwindled down the Bible to nothing more than a rule book, like a laundry list of items that we've got to you know, check off as having, having done. And how I've heard this framed every so often is that Christians can't have fun in life or are limited in life because we have to keep all of these commandments that are found in, in the Bible. I don't know if anybody else has heard that before, but that's something I've heard every now and again. And again, I want to underscore a very unfortunate and a very misinformed view of, of the Bible, right? Because we know the Bible is more than just a list of do's and don'ts. It's more than just a rule book or a handbook, right? The, the Bible is God's complete revelation to man. Everything in it is beneficial for us and, and equips us for every good work, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It's a living and active book that pierces us deep within, Hebrews 4, verse 12. It shows us the way to the Father the way to eternal life through Jesus Christ. He's the only way, John 14, verse 6. There's so many stories. There's, there's prophecy. There's poetry. All these different types of literature. The, the Bible is the book of books. It, there's so much in this book. And, and it's what we, we live by. And we, what we do, have to, we do have to say that there absolutely is instruction for living in the Bible. No doubt about it. It's not the only thing that's found in the Bible, but certainly God has told us, no doubt, how he wants us to live. He's given us commands for what we should do and what we should not do. But here's the thing. God's commands are not arbitrary. These commands are not just some things that God threw together and said, you know what, I want these people to follow this, and I'm just going to throw it out there for them. No, folks, everything that God has given us in this holy book, the Bible, Every command, everything we see in there is beneficial for us. God's never going to tell us to do something that's not good for us. That's a fact. God's never going to give us something that is too hard for us to keep, that is too hard. No, it's, it's, it's actually the exact opposite. Keeping God's commands is really where life is found, where abundant life is found, where peace is found. And that sounds foreign to you know, non-Christians who submit to somebody to find life. But that's really where it's found, is following God. And don't you think that God, the creator, knows what's best for his creation? I think so. God absolutely knows what's best for us. And these commands that he's given us are really an extension of who he is, of his character. He wants us to be holy like him. Read the book of Leviticus. He wants us to be holy and so these commands he's given us are, are beneficial for us, and they help us become holy like him. And I love what John says in the book of 1 John chapter 5, in verse 3. 
For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not, not burdensome. You see, people maybe outside the church will think, man, that's got to be so hard to keep all those commandments. That's got to be something so difficult. And again, that you can't have fun because you have to keep all these commandments. And that couldn't be further from the truth, folks. It's not a burden to keep God's commandments. You know, you think about a burden, it's something that weighs us down, something that's heavy on our shoulders that prevents us from, from moving forward or attaining something. And that's not what God's commandments are. They're not a burden. They're a delight to keep. They're a joy to keep. And again, that's where we find peace. That's where we find true life is in obeying what God has laid out for us here in the Bible. It's not a burden to keep God's commands. But here's our problem. is not so much recognizing that, okay, there are commands in the Bible. The, the problem is actually doing it, right? It's one thing to hear the word like we're doing this morning, like we do in our Bible classes, like we do when we're reading scripture. And it's another thing altogether to actually do what it says and live it out. Look what James says in James chapter 1, verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Folks, it is absolutely critical to hear the word of God. And that's what we're doing right now. We're going to be talking about God's word. We're going to do it in Bible class. It's critical to hear that. But we can't just take it in one ear and out the other. We have to really take it in and it has to be coupled with practice. We have to actually do what God has, has said. Outside of these walls, when we get out in the world, we've got to actually live the way God has called us to, to live. And it, again, it's hard to do that sometimes because we are sinful beings. We have weaknesses, right? I believe one of the big problems for many Christians is that we try to justify our behavior. Where we say something like, well, you know what? I've never done the bad sins before. I've never murdered somebody. I've never committed sexual immorality. I've, I've never stolen anything. I've never committed thievery or some other crime that's put me in prison for years and years and years, right? I've never done those things. But all the while, we have sin present in our lives. And we're letting it linger in our lives. The smaller sins, if you will. Maybe like lying, complaining. We're going to talk about some of these things in just a few minutes. And folks, I'm not saying for one second that there's a direct apples-to-apples apples comparison between somebody who is a murderer and somebody who lies, right? There's obviously some difference there. And there's going to be some different consequences here on earth for those decisions. But spiritually speaking, sin leads to death, Romans 6.23. No matter what sin we commit... We deserve to be punished for that. We, we can be condemned for one sin. If we just committed one sin, we still deserve to be punished for that, right? And we know the only way to be saved from that is through Jesus Christ. But I think too many times we let sin, the, the things that we may call the little sins, we may let them linger in our lives and let them go unchecked or maybe not even realize that what we're doing is sinful, but look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 22. Very simple. Abstain from every form of evil. Every form of evil. Some, say every appear some translations say every appearance of evil. Don't even let the appearance of evil be a part of our lives. Much less the actual evil. 
We can't let even a hint of something wrong in our lives. And I think, the, again, the problem is sometimes we don't take sin seriously enough. That, well, you know what, I, this is really not that bad to do. It's not that bad for me to tell a, a little white lie, you know, whatever a little white lie really means. And, and we let these things linger in our lives. And Paul says, uh-uh, absolutely not. You can't let even a little bit of evil into your life. It's got, we've got to shun the evil. We've got to put it out of our lives. Look what 1 Peter 2 verse 11 says. Basically the same thing. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. Peter's saying don't give in to those fleshly desires. They're waging war against your soul. There, there is a battle going on within you. And you've got to put those fleshly lusts aside. And we talked last week about how the spirit and the flesh are against one another a little bit. We cannot pursue these fleshly desires, the, the passions that are within us. We don't belong here. This world is not our home. We're strangers and aliens. Our citizenship is in heaven. And that's why we've got to be living the way God has called us to live. Folks, I don't want us for a second to think that we save ourselves because of our works. That's not the case. We know that we're saved through Jesus Christ's blood. And that's the only way that we can be saved. I, think we, I hope we all understand that. But as a result of being saved through Jesus Christ, that should propel us to live for him. It should propel us to love and good works, right? We should desire to follow him because of what he's done for us, because of his saving us. And so this morning, I want to talk about some things, some sins that can easily go unchecked in our lives. Some things that, that we can get involved in that we sometimes don't even realize we're engaging in it and realize that it's wrong. And folks, I don't want anybody for a second to think that I'm up here pointing my finger at you, you folks because I'm talking to me. You know, a lot of times when we prepare sermons, they hit, they hit us square in the chest. And what, this is one of those sermons for me. Because a lot of these things I'm going to be talking about this morning are things I struggle with. Are things that I've realized I've been doing these very things. And I can't allow these things in my life anymore. So I'm right along in the boat with, with everybody if, if these are some of the things you struggle with. So number one, let's look at some sins that can easily go unchecked. Number one is complaining. Complaining. David did mention this a little bit last Sunday night, but I wanted to go over it again. Uh, I actually had this idea in my mind, uh, and I wanted to talk about this. Complaining, again, is one of those things that's, well, it's really not that big of a deal. You know, again, we may not even realize that we're complaining. But look what Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. The NKJV actually says the word complaining and disputing. Do what? All things without grumbling or complaining and disputing. Everything. Not just a little bit. Every single thing that we do needs to be done without grumbling and disputing. The word for grumble or complaining here uh, by Bill Mounts, this is a Greek uh, language expert, he says this is the expression of secret and sullen discontent. And our, our definition for Merriam-Webster's Miriam, is to express grief, pain, or discontent. That word discontent pops up there both, both, both times. When we're complaining about something, we're not satisfied with something. We're not content with something going on, and we let that be known. If you want to think about a biblical example here, 
Think about the children of Israel. Remember when God brought them out of the land of Egypt and they were, you know, on their way to the promised land. But what did they start to do? They started grumbling. They started complaining. God, where's our water? God, where's the food? Why'd you bring us out of Egypt, Moses? They grumbled and complained. And they were punished for it. They showed a lack of contentment, a lack of trust in God. And, and they complained. And they were punished for it. We cannot complain. We cannot fall into this, this idea of being discontent with everything. With, with showing our discontent and dissatisfaction with things. But here's the thing. Too many times we have people who do complain. And David mentioned this last week. Complaining about the leaders of the church. Oh man, they're not doing what's right. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. We need to be doing this. We need to be doing that. Right? And again, I'm right along in this boat too. Sometimes I've complained about things. But that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Sometimes we complain about the, thing, the way things are ran. Man, it should be, this should be different. No, that's not how it should be. I know what's right. Let me, let, you know, I, this is what we need to be doing. Sometimes people complain about simple things like not having their pew. I don't even get to sit in the seat that I want to sit in. You know, sometimes we complain about other people. I just can't believe that person did that to me. I can't believe this or that. Guys, we can complain about a lot of different things. We could go on and on about the things that we could complain about. But Paul says, and there are other verses we could point to, do everything without grumbling and complaining, or grumbling and disputing, complaining and disputing. This shouldn't be a part of our lives as Christians. And I know, again, it's, it's almost as if, well, this isn't really that big of a deal. But God's word says not to do it. And that means we shouldn't be doing it. We shouldn't be complaining. So what's the problem with complaining? Number one, complaining shows a lack of contentment. We just talked about uh, those definitions of complaining means to show your lack of contentment, to express your dissatisfaction with something. And so when you're complaining, you're showing that you're not content with something going on, that you don't really think that things are going well, and you're going to express that. Now, folks, there, there's nothing wrong with expressing concern. If you're concerned about something, then you, we can let that be known, but there's a right manner of doing that, right? The, the sullen and this attitude of, of mumbling under your breath or maybe complaining to somebody else, that's not the way to, to fix it. We'll talk just a few minutes about how we can, can fix or talk about how we can overcome complaining. But number one, it shows a lack of contentment, that we're not satisfied with something. Secondly, complaining does not accomplish anything. I, I, I've, never, I've never actually accomplished anything by complaining about something. It's all talk. It's all just showing dissatisfaction about something. It's not going to accomplish anything. It's just, again, it's just talk. We don't really get anywhere by expressing our dissatisfaction and, and mumbling and grumbling. It doesn't get anywhere. Thirdly, complaining is negative. You know, when you complain about something, all you can focus on are the things that are going wrong, the things that are bad, the things that you don't like. It's, it's negative talk. And we don't need that within the body of Christ. So how do we overcome complaining? Number one is get to work. If we see something is not going right here in the church, if you see somebody who's not doing something you'd like them to do, or if, if you see something that you'd like to change, the way to fix it is not to complain about it, to grumble about it. It's to get to work. It's to ask somebody, how can I help? What can I do to get involved? 
How can, I, how can I help here? How can I help there? Instead of grumbling or complaining about it, we need to get our hands dirty. Again, it's all talk if we complain, but the way to fix it is actually getting to work, fixing the problems that we see. Secondly, talk and think about positive and good things. It's really easy to get wrapped up in negative things all the time, folks, and to think about everything's going wrong. We're not doing things right, or this person's not doing this, or this person's not doing that. But we can also realize there's a lot of good going on. We are doing great things. There are great things going on even in the world. In this world, we have a lot of sin. There are still, there's still good things going on. Let's fill our conversations with positive things rather than negative things. I think that would really help with the, with the complaining. But Paul says, do all things without grumbling and disputing. Let's put that to practice in our lives. And if we're dissatisfied with something, let's just keep it in. Secondly, let's talk about something different now. Gossip and slander. Again, this is something that I think that we don't even realize is going on sometimes. But let's look at a few passages that talk about gossip and slander. Proverbs 25, 23 says this, the north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. Romans chapter 1, 28 through 31, Paul is talking about everybody in this, in this section in Romans. He's talking about everybody is guilty before God. Everyone has sinned and has fallen short. And he talks about these people that God had handed over to this big list of sins. And look what it says. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers. Haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, un unloving, and unmerciful. Ephesians 4 verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. You see the words backbiting, gossip, and slander within these passages. Now these words don't all mean the exact same thing, but they're very close, very closely related. All of these carry an idea of some type of speech behind somebody's back that is going to injure their name, that is going to hurt their name. Some type of talk about somebody that's not going to do any good for them. And I think we understand backbiting and gossip and, and slandering here. But it's something, folks, that we don't even realize sometimes is happening. It's something that can happen intentionally and unintentionally gossiping and talking about other people. We can hurt someone without even realizing what we're doing. I'm, I'm going to have to move very quickly through these because we're running out of time. What's the problem with gossip and slander? Well, number one, gossip and slander hurts other people. Gossip and slander damages another person's reputation. When you're talking about somebody behind their back, we're doing damage to them. We're hurting their name. And, and here's the thing. Even if it's true, it could still hurt somebody. You know, sometimes we say, well, I'm just telling the truth. I'm just telling what they've done. That doesn't mean it, it wouldn't hurt them. Folks, we're called to treat others as, as we would want to be treated. Nobody wants to be talked about behind their back. So why would we do that to somebody else? Why would we mistreat somebody by talking about them? Let's not talk about other people because it hurts it hurts other people. 
And there have been times where I've found people are talking about me, and there have been times where people have found out that I've been talking about them, and those are hard conversations to have. So it hurts other people, number one. Number two, gossip and slander causes division. When we're talking about other people behind their backs, anything that we're saying about them in a, in a negative sense, a lot of times it can get back to that person. And even if it doesn't, we're sowing discord among our brethren. You know, we could say any type of thing about somebody. Oh, man, look what he did over there. Or I can't believe he did this or that. Or, hey, did you believe what he said? Or I can't believe he hasn't been doing this or that. And if that gets back to that person, what type of strife have we caused? What, what are we stirring up when we are gossiping and slandering? We're stirring up division. And I think we know that the body of Christ is meant to be unified, not divided. And so gossip and slandering it, it does not help. It causes division. Secondly, or thirdly, gossip and slander is hard to catch. This is one of the big problems with gossip and slander is that we don't even realize that we're doing it sometimes. That we could be talking about somebody behind their back and we don't even realize what we're doing. We don't even realize that, that we're, we're actually talking about somebody. It's, it's, and again, I've kind of already mentioned this, but we say things like, well, I'm not gossiping if I'm telling the truth. Or I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, I'm just saying, you know, he, he looks like that, but I, I'm just saying, you know, it really, you know, that, that's not a justification for it. And sometimes we let it just slip because we don't even catch that we're gossiping about somebody. We're slandering somebody's name. We need to be watchful for that, to not talk about people behind their back. Fourthly and finally, why it's wrong is gossip and slander can be addicting. We want to be in the know, right? We want to spread the juicy news, the, the latest story. We want to know and tell other people, hey, let me tell somebody else's business. Or, hey, let me talk about what this person did. Oh, did you hear about that? We want to be that person who spreads that, right? It can be fun. It can be exhilarating. And because of that, it's hard to get out of that routine of, of gossiping and slandering. But folks, it's clear. Gossip and slandering is not good. It is, it is evil, and we have to get it out of our lives. So how do we overcome gossip and slander? I don't know what else to say except to say don't talk about people behind their back. I mean, that's as simple as that. Stop talking about other people. If you don't have anything nice to say about somebody, don't say it at all. We need to, we need to kick the habit of talking about people behind their back. And that leads to the second point. Talk about the positive things in other people. Instead of focusing, again, we kind of already talked about this. Instead of focusing on the negative things about people, notice the good in people. Notice the good things that people have done. Notice the good attributes about people. You know, there's always something good to say, right, about some other people, about somebody else. And we need to be talking about that instead of the wrong or the bad that we see. Thirdly, if you have a problem with someone, this is one of the hardest things. Go talk to them about it. If you see an issue with somebody or you have a problem or you see some behavior going on in somebody, don't go talk about it with somebody else. Don't run your mouth to somebody else about it. Approach them. How can I help you? What's going on? Why, why has this been going on in your life? Gossip and slandering is just going to hurt it further. Go talk to them about it. We need to rid ourselves of gossip and slandering. Third, what's the third thing we want to talk about here is greed and covetousness. Greed and covetousness. Luke 12, verse 15, this is Jesus talking. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist 
of his possessions. Colossians 3 verse 5 says this, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Greed, which amounts to idolatry. Folks, here the word greed is also translated in many uh, translations as covetousness. And I love what Helps Word Study says on this. They say it's a lusting for a great number of temporal things that go beyond what God determines is eternally best. It's an intense longing for the things of this life. We see something and we just got to have it. And we've got to hold on to what we see. It could be, it could be a, a person. It could be an object. It can be money. It can be a, a number of things that we want to hold on to and that we are lusting after. We've got this eye fixed on something of this world. And we've just got to have it. We'll do whatever we can to get it. It consumes us. And folks, in this world, it's so easy to, do, to, be, to be covetous, to covet, to be greedy. Because we've got so many messages coming at us. Hey, you need the next new iPhone. You need the new laptop. You need the new this. You need the new car. You need the new home. You need the, the bigger living room, the bigger house. You need the, this thing and that thing over there. And folks, I've fallen into this trap. I love, I love technology. If anybody knows me, I love technology. I love Apple products. But you know what? I don't have to have the newest, greatest thing. It's not something that I have to have to get through this life. And something I've struggled with before is pursuing the things of this life. We, but, but the Bible clearly says we cannot be covetous. We cannot be greedy. It's so easy, again, to be wrapped up in the things of this world. But we can't be. The only thing that we need to be wrapped up in is God. That's what we need to long for, is a relationship with him more than anything else. So what's the problem with greed and covetousness? Well, greed and covetous, covetousness show a lack of contentment. And I, I know we've already kind of talked about this with complaining, but I want to actually show you a passage from 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. Look what it says. But godliness is actually a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. If we had food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to, go to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs." He's con contrasting contentment with pursuing riches, right? And, and he's talking about how much better it is to be content. And that those who love money, they can never get enough of it. They're always plunging themselves into more and always trying to find more. And it leads them away from the truth. It leads them away from what's good. We need to be content. And and when we're covet, covetous and when we're greedy, it shows that we're not content with what we've got, with what God has given us. And he says, hey, if we've got, if we've got the covering and, and food, we need to be content. You know, God will give us these basic, uh, basic things we need for this life, Matthew chapter 6. And we need to trust in that and be content with what God has given us instead of always trying to grab for the next thing, for the next greatest thing. So that's no, number one problem with covetousness and greed secondly greed and covetousness show that we don't fully trust in God look at what Hebrews chapter 13 5 and 6 says make sure that your character is free from the love of money being content with what you have for he himself has said I will never desert you 
nor will I ever forsake you, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Folks, it's really, really easy to put our trust in our possessions and the things that we've got. Hey, look how much I've got. Man, this has made me, this is what makes me who I am. I've got so much money. I've got a great house. I've got a great car. I've got so many possessions. These things will never truly give us content, contentment and happiness and satisfaction. The only thing that we need to be placing our full trust in is God. Make sure our character is free from the love of money, being content with what we have, because God says he's never going to leave us or forsake us. We can trust in that, that God is never going to leave us or forsake us. But these things of this life, they're not going to last. These things are going to erode away, and they're not really going to bring us anything satisfactory in the end. So those are the problems with greed and covetousness, and we could talk about a lot of other things, but again, for the sake of time, we're, we need to, to move on. How can we overcome greed and covetousness? Well, the verses above tell us how to do that. Number one, we have to learn to be content. And Paul tells us in that first Timothy passage that he tells us that to be content, we have to understand that everything we have here stays here. We brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it, right? Nothing here is going to be able to be taken to the grave with us and to be taken into the afterlife. It's all going to be left here. It's not going to bring us any lasting value. It's all going to be gone. So we need to understand that. And he also tells us that we need to be content because God has given us the basic necessities of life. Food and covering and, and drink and water, those things are enough. And we need to be content with what God has given us. Secondly, we have to learn to fully rely on God. And that means that we have to understand that the things of this life are not going to provide us with security, peace, and comfort like we think, or like the messages of the world tell us. All they're going to do is erode away, and the only thing that we can put our full trust in is God. Last thing we're going to talk about, I'm going to run through this quickly. Number four is forsaking the assembly. Forsaking the assembly. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says this, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In this passage, the Hebrews writer has been talking about how Christ is our once and for all sacrifice and how he, has, he is our high priest. And because of that, we should be living differently. We should be living like this. And he tells us, let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. How this is typically applied is people say, well, if you miss a Sunday service, then you've forsaken the assembly. But folks, in reality, we meet more than just Sundays. And in fact, the early church met day by day. They met all the time. They were together all the time. We need to make it a focal point to be here when we have things going on. And I know I'm not, and I don't want anybody to think either that if you miss one thing, that you're forsaking the assembly. That's not what I'm saying here. The word forsaking here means to abandon or desert something. This is something that's kind of a, an ongoing thing. But it also has to be said people who have forsaken the assembly started by missing the first service, started by missing the first event, by missing the, the first gathering together, and it just snowballed from there. We need to make it a priority to be together. Look what he says up here. 
Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works and to encourage one another as we see the day drawing near. How can we do that? How can we stir one another up? How can we encourage one another if we're not here? If we're not getting together? If we're not with one another? Those things, it's not really possible to do that. If we're not here together. There's there's so many things I want to cover here, but again, for the sake of time, we're going to have to skip over a lot of these things, um, trying to think about where we need to go here. Let's talk very quickly. The problem with forsaking the assembly, number one, is we can't glorify God fully if we aren't together. Folks, I don't believe worship is contained to 60 minutes on Sunday morning or 60 minutes on Sunday night or on Wednesday nights. I believe we can glorify and worship God 24-7. But I do have to say that this is the time where we gather together with other saints to praise God, our corporate worship, lifting songs to him, praying together, encouraging one another. And we can't do that if we're not here, if we're not gathered together. And you are here this morning, and I'm so thankful that you are. Secondly, we can't encourage our brethren if we're not here. Again, I've I've kind of already mentioned this. If we're not here, how can we stir one another up? How can we encourage one another? Thirdly, it's a danger to fall away if we forsake the assembly. If we stop coming together, we're in danger of completely walking away because this is where we come to worship God together, to find the encouragement. It's like the spiritual recharging here. We need to come together. So how do we overcome forsaking the assembly? Well, number one, make it a priority to be at every church gathering. Everything that we do, make it a priority. I know that it's not possible to make it to every single thing. You may have some other obligations, but if at all possible, if you can make it, be here. Be here with the saints to encourage one another and to worship God. There's no better place that we could be than to be together worshiping, praising God, and encouraging one another. Where, why, else, why would we want to be doing anything else? So if you have an opportunity to be here, try your best to be here. Secondly, get plugged in. If you can find a, something to get plugged in, in in the church and really in a ministry and really involved, that will keep you planted here. And so find something where you can fit in, where you can get to work and really get involved and plugged in, and you will want to be here. We have a lot of ministries going on, and so we want you to be plugged in. Please try to, try to make it a, a focal point to be here with the saints. Folks, there's a lot of things that we could be talking, other sins we could be talking about that would qualify as what we say, little sins. And I know we've covered a lot of ground this morning. I wish we could cover even more. These were just a few that came to my mind. The point is, we cannot let sin go unchecked in our lives. It's serious. Sin is not something to trifle with, something that is just small. It's serious, and we need to make sure it's out of our lives. But here's the great news. Jesus Christ took our sins to the cross. He paid our debt of sin. And you know what? Because of that, we are free, and we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about falling anymore. We may sin, but you know what? As we're walking in the light... Jesus Christ's blood cleanses us of all our transgressions. 1 John 1, verse 7. Because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, we should be propelled to do what he says, to walk in the light as he has called us to. And folks, his blood is cleansing us from all of our unrighteousness. It's a beautiful thing. It's all because of him. This morning, if you have sin in your life that has gone unchecked and you'd like to change, please come forward. If you feel like you want to 
to give your life to Christ this morning. We'd love to talk with you and we'd love to baptize you into Christ. It's all because of him that we can be made whole and live this life for him. Please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.